Hi, it's Jenny. Doesn't my microphone sound nice? I asked this because due to a technical F-up, my microphone is too crunchy in this episode. It has to do with enthusiasm and a disturbance in the force between Discord and my system. Don't worry, it should be entirely bearable. I just want you to know that I know so that you don't write me wondering if I know what you know. Perfection is overrated. This is one of my favorite conversations I've had in a long time, and I'm not going to let a little mic crunch get in the way. But you should definitely still write us, just about something more interesting. Anyway, here's the episode with Scott Johnson. Hello, and welcome to the Fulcrum Feed. Uh, This is a place for all of us to talk about Star Wars. Think of it as a nebula filled with gas. I mean, respectful discussion, filled with respectful discussion. If you're in hiding after the demise of the mighty Jedi Temple known as Let's Talk About Star Wars, welcome. This is a safe place to hang out and talk about your favorite things in Star Wars universe. Um, of course, the obvious thing to do is a show called Let's Talk About Andor. So that's kind of what we're doing. We talk about Andor. We talk about some other things that go beyond Andor. Why not? Um, and of course, if you're like just joining us and wondering, why is this fulcrum word here? Is that did I get here by mistake for the fulcrum app? Uh, no, uh, this is not about the fulcrum app. This is not about um, anything else related to fulcrum. My favorite Star Wars character has the code name of fulcrum. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch Star Wars Rebels. It will help you with Andor. Um, and that's as much backstory as you're going to get, because I am thrilled beyond measure to welcome one of the currentest of current geeks scott johnson hi scott hi i've never been referred to that way before but i kind of like it since i own that domain i can maybe finally parlay that into something really big now that you've said it out loud that's That's what i'm saying scott is one of the most thoughtful people when it comes to pop culture obviously you know him uh, because he talks a lot about video games but also star wars marvel 80s nerd movies space movies rom-coms 40s stuff you name it he's seen it he's probably talked about it i'm so excited to talk to you about star wars well i'm Star Wars. to be here. Star Wars. Star Wars with a C. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Put my name yeah, right there right. in the in the, right. in the thing. Look, oh, as, a, so as, a, as a lifelong <laughs> uh, Star Wars nerd from the age of seven, where it mm-hmm. literally changed my life and my outlook uh, to all the way into the future at, a, at an age I will not reveal, although you could probably do the math at home. Uh, Star Wars has been pretty much a constant part of my life, both both, you know, ups and downs for both me and the franchise and being here talking to you about it, one of the preeminent Star Wars fans that I know, uh, is a real treat. So thanks for having me here. Yes. Okay, uh, you brought it up, so I'm going to mention it right away. Go. Star Wars, there's there's like a generation of us, uh, what I would call elders. Um, there are older Star Wars fans, to be sure. Uh, uh, people who were 30 and 40 when Star Wars came out, which you know means some of them are not with us anymore right but they loved it uh you and i are of a generation where you were old enough to see it in a theater when it first came out is Mm -hmm. that right that is correct i was seven years old when it came out tell me about that because that's not something i have yeah it was an awesome experience because um it was with my parents and i guess my siblings were probably there a few of them but it's so it was such an impactful moment that i have forgotten about everything else around it Mm-hmm. So I don't remember, I, I know I was with my parents just because who else was going to take me? Because I'm seven. 
Um, but that's it. Like all other outside details fade away. I know what theater it was, which is no longer in existence, but I, I used to love that place. And uh, I saw it when I was a little kid and it changed the way I perceived everything around me, including just, I don't know, kind of who I was. It, it basically informed my entire life all the way up till now. Like um, it's impossible to escape. I really, I really feel that way. And uh, it was amazing. I walked out of there going, well, two things. I knew that I was going to see it a whole bunch more times in theaters. Mm-hmm. That was just going to be the way it was. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about the late 70s, early 80s was it was cheap enough I could do it. Uh, and the so, movie stuck around. Yeah. And the movie stuck around for a long time. Um, but my love of that franchise was was born then and then just never left me. I had every action figure I could get. I begged my parents for the big expensive toys. Got maybe one or two of those at Christmas, but for the most part, I had to pine in vain for that sort of thing. Um, it was, you know, it was seismic for me as a kid and my imagination. Um, you know, I was already kind of a weird kid in terms of what I loved. I loved nerdy stuff before it was cool to love that stuff. I loved comic books as a little kid. I was already drawing at that age. It's really all I wanted to do is draw and 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 soak myself in these nerdy pursuits, even at seven or eight years old. So when this thing hit, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is like the ultimate thing. And I think there are a couple of factors at play here. One, you're seven, but two, um, this is a movie where in the era anyway, and this has been easier to see in, in, you know, in retrospect, of course, but even at the time I perceived that this was this weird cut above, it was a cut above in mm-hmm. a couple of very important ways. And they were sensory ways for me. They were music and sound and to a lesser extent, visual effects, but the sound of the movie, all of the sound effects to this day remain some of the most unique suite of sound effects in the history of film, yeah. uh, science fiction or otherwise. And that was not just groundbreaking. It was transcendent. They had to invent them. They had to invent them and they invented them in some of the most, you know, amazing, curious ways. And there's all sorts of documentaries out there about how they did it, where they did it. And, you know, Skywalker sound is, is just renowned for breaking every piece of ground you could break. And the music by John Williams was also an interesting choice at the time. You're talking about an era where anything science fiction related, almost without a doubt, used some sort of terrible synthy, you know, Logan's run type, you know, backing sound. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying there's anything horribly wrong with that or that I don't enjoy those things in retrospect, but I think going full orchestrated made a massive difference in our perception of that movie and its breadth, like how, how impactful is it going to be? Then you throw in those groundbreaking special effects and you have this trifecta of sensory input that, you know, was unlike anything. There's still, still to this day, there've been a few examples of like, Oh, interesting. Jurassic park kind of made me feel that way again in 1993. But then you realize that that's all industrial light and magic doing it. Like it's still that (laughs) legacy. Right. And so whenever, whenever that ground was either retread or broken again, it was always in the shadow of that stuff. And I've maintained to this day that if star Wars had not had those three elements and in particular, the sound and the music. This is controversial to some. But if it hadn't had those elements, I don't think anybody cares about Star Wars in 2022. Not Scott, like Scott, it's real simple, okay? 
Have you ever seen the cuts of Star Wars without the music, like the ones that John Williams was scoring to? Yeah. They prove your point. Yeah, it's they're just, bad. They're kind they're of bad. bad. <laughs> yeah. And if the if lightsabers and 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 uh, blasters sounded like science fiction weapons of the time of the era, which hadn't changed much since the fifties, if I'm honest, um, we wouldn't think of it in the same way. We the droids yeah. would be horrible. Everything about the way. It sounded mattered more than I ever gave it credit for as a kid, but I, I still somehow intrinsically knew how much that mattered. And I feel like it's, you know, it's played out that way now. And it's the reason why you can play the sound of a, of a lightsaber or the, or the mm-hmm. breathy sounds of Darth Vader or a million, you know, the scream of a TIE fighter and everybody perks up. You go, Oh, 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 oh I know what this is. I know, I know what this is. Yeah. And it's not just from exposure, like constant watching it. There's that's some of it, but I think that that's just how, powerful it is it's like it's like um i don't know the human capacity for being uh you know having your having your brain chemistry changed by being shown something either wonderful or horrible at too young of an age as an example uh stays with you and i and i think in the in a very positive way that's what happened here and so my, i felt have like you ever, for, let me ask you a question yeah go uh, i want to just jump in here for a second have you ever been in just regular life and done something like turned a fan on or off or uh, uh, closed or opened a door and you were like, that's how they got that in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Um, one in particular, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I I don't think I've ever talked to anybody about this, but my friends and I were outside screwing around and one of them was uh, had his baseball bat with him. We, had, we were getting home from Little League or whatever and he banged his bat against um, a support I don't know even what to call it cord, a metal like, like braided cord that was bolted into the ground in the cement. And it was, and it went up and held up a, a power pole and it was just like a, a steadying line or something. And there are probably a few of them there, but he hits his bat with this thing, a, a metallic bat, a, a aluminum bat. And it made the sound of a blaster going off. Mm-hmm. And, we just went, no way, listen to that. That sounds just like a blaster. And we did it over and over and over. And every time we passed it, we'd hit it. And we'd try hitting it with different material. And it came out a little bit different every time. But it was clear to me that we had somehow magically reproduced the sound of a blaster. What are the chances? And then I see this documentary as a kid, teen, you know, young, I don't know, junior high, 11, 12 or something. And it was right around the time of Empire Strikes Back. And I saw this thing where they showed the sound guys out in the world looking for unique sounds and capturing them on all these old reel-to-reel tapes and stuff. And one of them was them hitting one of these cords on a pole somewhere in Los Angeles and capturing the sound would eventually become, you know, the basis for the blaster and for the guns. And I went, oh my gosh, we were doing the thing they found and we just didn't know it. So yeah, like 100%. And that would happen all the time with various things. Every kid's talked into a a fan real close and said, I'm your father and junk like that. Like it's impossible to avoid if you were at all taken by this stuff back then. And mm-hmm. boy, howdy, was I taken by it. I turned a fan. The reason I asked this is I turned a fan off, this fan that's like right next to me here. And it went, wah, wah, and I went, BB-8. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's probably, I know BB-8 was actually Bill Hader. So I know that that wasn't it. But I was just like, the sounds of Star Wars are all around us because these original geeks in the 70s went out and got the sounds all around us for star wars yeah and they did it right? in a, again in a way that was like we don't want to just sound like oh that's an electronic sound they yeah. wanted more than that they wanted something organic and and real and down to earth in a weird way like the movies were the movies were dirty and gritty and 
Mm-hmm. You know, the ships weren't all clean in those days. We, we talk about prequels at a different time, but um, I like never. Th- I mean, yeah, or, or never. never. It's fine. <laughs> but, uh, you know, whatever. I know there's some kids probably even no, listening. Yeah, the kids that's love their it. movies. They, yeah, that's their movies. Our, I asked Matt, my husband, the other night, he said, Matt, were the were the original trilogy for kids? And he thought about it. He said, no, they were for families. And there was just a click of a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's. You know, my daughter's husband, for example, he's 29, I guess. Um, that's his Star Wars. And so mm-hmm. he had many of those same sort of experiences, uh, peppered a little bit with the original trilogy. Also, you know, his parents would show him that. So he, he kind of knew what he was getting into, but too young to really know what's going on. And so for him, that is the the impactful trilogy. But in a similar way, you know, that same stuff works, it turns out, for a different generation. Those mm-hmm. same that same um, cadence, that same, uh, you know, kind of sensory, uh, not overload, but for lack of a better term, this very unique bit of sensory information mm-hmm. works on whoever you are. And I don't care how old you are, at least at least it should. And for those that doesn't, no judgment, but you're weird. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> it's uh, you, you can be weird. Everybody can be weird. It's not a problem. Everybody likes something different. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, just it's not a we problem. just won't be talking to you about Star Wars. Yeah, you're probably we not will. listening anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. Hi, mom. Okay, <laughs> so uh, okay, I want to come back to these ideas because uh, you know I could talk all day about how uh, the reason John Williams was so impactful on Star Wars was because if if it had been that electronic music. We wouldn't have remembered it as much, but because John Williams, John Williams validated Star Wars in the same way Alec Guinness validated Star Wars. It took it from another, just another thing Mm -hmm. to something timeless and eternal. And those are the choices that George Lucas made that were so brilliant. Thanks also to Steven Spielberg, who was like, I work with this guy. Uh Actually, who who got Williams first? I think it was Spielberg, right? Yeah, I think it was Spielberg with, uh, well, certainly with Jaws. And yeah. prior to that, I think even. They did a thing. Yeah, they had, they were already collaborating. And it's funny because yeah. people don't remember this, but John Williams' biggest accomplishment before, uh, you know, hitch- hitching his wagon to these, these brilliant directors and writers was he wrote the theme song to uh, Gilligan's Island, mm-hmm. uh, which is ridiculous and over the top and strange. But all and all the interstitials. So if you're watching that show and they are coming back from commercial and there's like a, a lovely little uh, twinkling jingle version of the main theme as you come back into a scene with Gilligan and the Skipper, that was John Williams' job was to was to build all that, all that stuff out. And so you know who back then who who would ever you know <laughs> there's no way to predict where this guy would go and how far mm-hmm. he would go and that he would still be working today and still making you know magic happen with his with his baton, but. But yeah, like that stuff, not only it, 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 I like the word validation a lot because what it did is it was like big boy music for mm-hmm. stuff that was supposed to be the, the thing of comic book nerds. And, you know, those, those people now are, are the ones making those movies. But back when I was a kid, it wasn't cool to feel that way yeah. uh, about a lot of that stuff. But this comes along and suddenly it is very cool to feel that way. And everybody feels that way. One part of that, I think, is, it lends a seriousness to it. It lends a, an artistry to it that it wouldn't have had if it had been some synthy nightmare. And I'm really grateful for that because, you know, not only did it, did it make, help make Star Wars what it is in a very significant way, it also gave us the career of a guy who would go on to, yeah. you know, change film scoring forever. 
So, Forever. And yeah. also bring classical music. Nobody would be, it would be so hard for people of our era to care about classical music if it had not been for John Williams. Oh, 100%. Yeah, totally agree Just, with that. Yeah. So, um, okay. So we're going to come back to some of the things that we've been talking about. Uh, but speaking of dirty Star Wars universes, <laughs> speaking of incredible music for the piece that's being done, speaking of actors being so great that they validate a show, let's talk about Andor. Yeah, why not? Why not? We're here. We um, may as well. <laughs> we might as well briefly <laughs> talk about the thing that the show is called. It's fine. Sure. But not for long. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, overall thoughts about the first three episodes of Andor, you have the floor. All right. I'm going to say, uh, I, well, I'll say this to just to kind of cover everything real quick, and then I'll just get into one little bitty, little bitty nitty gritty. Um, okay. the, the overarching is that I really, really am into this. Uh, I felt like I was going to be leading up to it because um, I'm one of those people, I may be alone in this, I don't know, but of the, all of the modern takes, everything from, um, you know, Ren joining the, <laughs> the world uh, up till current, my favorite of all the modern Star Wars is... <laughs> Stars War? Anyway. Star Warses? Star Warses? Wars? <laughs> anyway, of all the movies that are made in the Star Wars universe. Star Y. Since, since it came back. <laughs> let's say everything since prequels. Let's put yep. it that way. There we go. Um, is Rogue One. I yep. loved Rogue One from top to bottom, beginning to finish. More than all of it. I liked it. There's plenty to like across the board, but um, it was... It was what I wanted as an adult with a with a with a more, I guess, Empire Strikes Back taste and less of a Return of the Jedi taste. Um, nothing wrong with that movie. I'm not besmirching it, but you know, when you're a kid, that's your favorite. It's got all the puppets in it and it's awesome. But then you later in life you go, wait a minute, actually Empire Strikes Back was the one I really liked, but now I have to be older to appreciate it more. And that's the mood I was in. I wanted some dark and that movie had it um, and it did some brave, daring things. It still was Star Wars, but it did it in a different way. And the ending was unheard of. I can't even believe they got away with it, mm -hmm. especially given how safe they were with the next three. Mm -hmm. um, that just felt like a daring move. And I wish they would have done more of that. So hearing that Andor was was going to come out of that, that we were going to get, you know, Cassie and Andor out of this movie and into his own story excited me from the very beginning. What I didn't expect was for it to just nail that thing I was missing, which is a little darker, a little broodier, a little more on the ground, a little more cyberpunk, a little more, you know, dirty, dirty cantinas and, and, uh, troubling relationships and people ripping each other off. And this part of the universe that you rarely get to see when it's all Jedi's all the time dancing around on, you know, on platforms. And that's where I wanted to go. That is where they're taking me so far. The nitty gritty would be, uh, I think I understand now why all three episodes dropped at once, even though the middle one's only yeah. half an hour. They did that, I think, because it is better as a three-part chunk than it would be individually and waiting a week. Uh, and I just mean that because they are it's a slow burn to its to to its strength, it's a slow burn. But I don't think that sells as well as a Disney Plus brand new series about Star Wars where everyone's expecting the Mandalorian to pop out with his rocket and have a baby Grogu with him. Um, I think they they needed to get it. They needed it in a one big blast the way they gave it. And I'm glad they did. I would have personally been fine with it, but I get the marketing reasons. 
And I'm totally fine with this three episode drop because also it gave me more content. But by the time the third one ended, I'm it's all in. I'm all in. Yeah, all in. All do you remember the it. Thin Red Line? The movie. Yeah, I do. Thin, I love that movie. What What good is all this war and all this? I can forget the quote, but every time I saw the first two episodes of Andor, and I've watched them more than once, I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, this is the Thin Red Line," and then they're going to get to some other war movie. Yeah. They're setting stage and character and. They're doing it without words through half of the first two. No, no recognizable English words until like in that in the flashbacks for oh, much of the so flashbacks. That's so interesting. Yeah, such an interesting choice. I really like that. I thought I was gonna. It was gonna bug me because I'm like, oh, they're not gonna they're not gonna tell us what these kids are saying. And then as it went on, I'm like, actually, a I don't really need to know because I kind of know what they're saying. It's like, all right, we're gonna go see what this happened at this wreckage. Okay, I, I get it. Uh, we're, we're now we're off to do this. Everyone be careful. This guy doesn't trust this kid, uh, but the the girl in charge kind of does, but she's wary. Like all of the language is there. It just isn't being spoken in English and isn't, isn't being translated into subtitles. And I turned out, it turned out I was totally not only fine with that. I found it really engaging. I'm guessing your average eight year old might be bored. Right. Um, probably will be and probably were some like that. Or the average 40 year old who is an eight year old. Yeah. Some people at heart, you know, they're going to struggle. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you mentioned Thid Red Line, Red Line, and I would actually argue Terrence Malick, who created, who uh, directed that film and worked on the screenplay, he's famous for the, the, these, you know, that kind of movie. Thin Red Line is a great example of what Terrence Malick makes. This feels inspired by that dude. So you bringing that up is interesting because this is a kind of filmmaking that is less popcorn and more gourmet. Um, And I don't think it's meant to be flash in the pan arcade. This is long involved RPG for for lack of a better way to compare it. Yeah. And I am all in on that because I've got all the other stuff and some of it's great. I really like I love Mandalorian. I really love it. I liked uh uh, Obi-Wan quite a bit. I've liked it all to varying degrees, but this is way more my speed and I don't know where they're going to go next, but I'm really stoked about it. I mean, I think they're going, they're headed. They may not get there right away. They're headed to Coruscant. That's great yeah. because the interplay between the, the gritty and the nitty and the high, like we're there right now in our culture, which is like, we're all gutting it out and we're all trying to figure out where we stand on a bunch mm-hmm. of things. And, that's the period of time that they're in. And then there's all these politicians that are also trying to figure it out or know exactly what they want to do. And we're going to see that, I think. And I'm, yeah, that, I think so. I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah I'm very interplay. excited about that because I don't know, the stakes feel really high here. This is occupational. This is occupation of the empire moment where their, their tendrils have reached pretty far They're They control a lot of, you know, trade and production and, you know, they've, they put their slimy hands on, on the galaxy. Yeah. And now and if, you're on the bottom level where people are most affected by that kind yeah. of rule. And it's, it's daring stuff and it's deep stuff and it's meaningful stuff. And it's just not your typical Star Wars, but it has all the trappings that I, that I love about Star Wars, but it's, it's giving me the mature story. I, I didn't actually know I wanted. I think I, I think I did know I want it, but they're actually delivering it and I'm, I'm happy. It's really exciting that they didn't mess it up so far. Yeah. I think is what yeah, we're all yeah. saying. Three, I mean, we're only three episodes in, <laughs> yeah. I guess, give them time. But I so far, it's real strong. And again, it's a little daring to to go this direction when people's expectations might be a little more on the arcade side. And, no lightsabers, you know. no nope. Easter eggs. I mean, this is stuff Tony Gilroy, who is has almost, it seems like 
complete creative control over this project um was like none of the stuff that makes you happy except i think they broke the rule on ships Mm. like they were like no we're gonna throw in a bunch of ships that make people happy but it's subtle and it's visual which goes back to the point of like terrence malick and other people who rely on the visual first Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. you could tell uh i couldn't have you on without saying this but you could tell all of mad max fury road without a single word Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, that's the other thing is my taste in apocalyptic storytelling and my love of Fury Road is known by everybody. But it's uh, there's a whole bunch of reasons for it that aren't just surface level action. It's it's a deeper thing. And I don't know why, but I'm really I'm really compelled by people at kind of the lowest possible point rising out of it. And um, I don't it's probably not that unusual, but I like it in these settings. And as soon as I saw like the ship junkyard and even just the city streets uh, where things are just gritty and dirty down there, like, like they are in oppressed places. Uh, They're, they're not, they don't have the, the, neither the freedom nor the, the vertical movement to do what they want to do or can do or should do, or, you know, could do for each other or whatever. So you kind of have to get what you can and everybody being a bit of a scrounger and a scoundrel really working for me because I like underdogs and I like, when underdogs take down power and this is one of those yeah I can tell. and also i mean obviously because you know, it, it ultimately it culminates in a thing we already know which happened yeah. in rogue one we know the end yeah we, we know, know where both we're going ends. yeah i'm, I'm, I'm happy ends, I'm, i usually don't love prequels or sequels where i know what where they're headed but this was one where i want to fill in the blanks you know well i want to yeah. find that all out because um star wars has always been a big world and yet we keep Focusing on the people with the glow sticks, right? right? And this is Rogue One and and Andor, by their nature, are saying, no, no, we're not interested in the glow sticks. We're yep. not interested in the people who can move things uh, through the air with their hands. We're right. interested in these people. And one thing I love about Andor, and I feel like this goes back to your point of you're the generation that's old enough to have seen it in the theater the first time. Yeah. And, uh This is a show that's actually saying, yes, the younger people are the scrappers, right? They have the Mm -hmm. energy, they have the anger, they have the, 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 the rage to rise up, but it is the older people who are going to show them the way. So Stellan Sarsgaard, uh, Fiona Shaw, uh, these are all older characters in the star wars universe they're the mentors they've Mm -hmm. seen this all they saw the clone wars right like they saw the dissolution they saw the dissolution of their dream and i've been in experiences lately where there have been some old people older people in my life other generations above me who have really shown me the way in a lot of things when i was struggling yeah it's a it's a story i won't call it a trope because i don't think that's that minimizes it but it's a it's a great way of bridging archetype. the gaps we'll and saying, archetype. yeah, we'll go archetype. Why not? Yeah. But this idea that, you know, there are people who, who remember history, who knew what things were like that know the trouble I've seen, you know, and yeah. then they, they're, and I, by the way, I love those two actors. I should, mm. I just want to throw that out there. I love them. Like mm-hmm. Dune is my third favorite movie of the last three years, five years, 10 years, whatever. And, um, uh, Stellan Skarsgård and his role as, uh, uh, Baron Harkonnen is one of my favorite things they ever did. And I love him. He's M- from the MCU as well. The guy gets all over the place. He's got those sons that are all buff. Like, man, what a, what a cool family. <laughs> what a family. Just love that guy. And, uh, 
then on the other hand, uh, she comes she comes swarming in. I didn't even know she was in this. And she popped up and my wife goes, who is that? And I said, I think that's Harry Potter's aunt. Mm-hmm. And I go, let me check. So we paused it and I went and looked. And sure enough, there she is. And she's an amazing British actress with incredible Fiona uh, re- Shaw, resume. Yep. And it just right? brings so much like gravitas to things. Like Diego Luna is awesome. I love him for all a bunch of whole other reasons. But he's, even though he's in his 40s now, he looks like a 12-year-old. Yeah. And that works for the character, and it works for him in general. But there's there's something about Star Wars being a a, a method of the old helping the new, mm-hmm. right? So it's Obi-Wan finally getting Luke going where he needs to go. And then variations on that in every movie since. Sometimes the same character's coming back, you know? <laughs> yeah. As and in this goes. case, yeah, and in this case, <laughs> yeah. what I'm excited about is I don't know these people, mm-hmm. and so I'm getting fresh. We're getting fresh meat on there at every turn. That to me is is one of the the reasons why I'm compelled to to be every uh, and every weaker on this and a rewatcher on this. They would have to work really hard to blow this, as far as I'm concerned, because I think the first three epi- episodes have put it in a really strong trajectory right now. Feels yeah. really good. I also think the truest thing out of Star Wars, there's so many true deep things in Star Wars, but for me, uh, one of the deepest things was pass on what you have learned, which is mm-hmm. Yoda's thing. Yeah. And it's just these generations of people trying to pass on a way to be moral and just in the universe and how that started out as a good thing and then became so codified and so rule bound that it was a bad thing. I'm thinking just about the Jedi, but also about the Republic, right? They Mm kind of go hand in hand Mm -hmm. and then a whole new generation busts out and has their way about it. And then like what is known as evil takes over and it's just these same cycles all over again. It's like Stephen King saying cause a wheel. It's like, you know, uh, Battlestar Galactica, all this has happened before. And Star Wars is the one that's like, no, you got to teach it. Mm -hmm. So that it doesn't fall. Yeah, away. that's interesting. That might be one of the the most optimistic things about Star Wars. Even when they get a little dark and gritty, like this series is, it's there's that uh, overriding idea that there is a way out. You don't exactly see it. Somebody nice, kind, and experienced is going to help you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something real wholesome about it in a way that you can still make a a, a dark, gritty, hard to deal with difficult middle chapter sort of thing, mm-hmm. but still have a weird uh, sense of optimism that you just know is there. And I love that about it. Um, and I also just, like I say, I, I feel that here, but I don't know any of these people. So it's the double edge of like, I don't know them, but I also know, I know Exciting. enough to know these people are, they've, they've got his best interests at heart. And I also know that we've got some, some bad people, but they're going to do it in a more twisty way. Like, this I forgot the name of the character the 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 dude who's pushed every you know got everybody to get in the shuttles and go out there and try to trap him. I can't. Oh remember his yeah, Mister Corporate, Mister Get. Yeah, Mister Corporate. He seems. By the way, looks like a, he looks like a young. Um, oh, I can't think of his name from Twin Peaks, the original Dune. Oh, Kyle uh, McLaughlin. Kyle yeah, McLaughlin. Yeah, just really struck me as that. Just really like his style and everything, but um, you know, he's he's our baddie, but he's kind of a he's a weird. Like, he's nervous. He doesn't fit in with the other men. He's kind of small and skinny. And, you know, it just looks like he's trying too hard. But sometimes the best evil characters come out of those shells. I can't wait to see how he evolves. Company man. Yeah, he's a trip. 
He's a trip. Any here's the fascinating thing about Star Wars is you can relate what's going on with that character, that sort of stocky sergeanty guy who's a type in every company, every mm-hmm. military, everything. Any closed system with even a whiff of hierarchical control yeah. has the absolute ability to go over the top patriarchy, over the top authoritarianism, into fascism, and they think they're doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. And they may be. <laughs> they might Maybe. be, or they at least are convinced that they are, and they are fully convinced that they are. I think I think that that stuff's just really relatable. And I don't just mean, you know, today where we have so much division in society. I think it's it's a universal thing, no matter what yeah. generation you live in. And you know, if it's if it wasn't the the hippies and the non hippies in the '60s or any other cultural divide, this is just that's emblematic of that. And if you're in that, if you're in a position of authority, like his boss has kind of given up. You could tell, yes. it's just like yeah, whatever. We'll but it's also it maybe very wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my my mind, he was. I hate to say it, I feel like he represented me if I was this cadre old guy <laughs> who just all out of poops to give. You know, you're yeah. just like, oh my gosh, okay, yeah. well, we're gonna tell him it's an accident, and if you want to keep working here, you're gonna toe the line. I'll see you in a couple of days. I'm going to this dental convention or whatever the heck he was yeah. going to. It was like an empire convention, the crazy yeah. thing, and like the 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 thing that stuck so too for me is that yes, he was being very casual about the murder of two of his employees. But I think what he was clear, and that, by the way, is that actor who played um, Royce uh, uh, in Game of Thrones. Like he was like that very self-satisfied character in Game of Thrones. I can't remember much more about him, but uh, he's a wonderful actor. And what he was actually saying was, hey, young dum-dum, we're the lesser evil. Mm -hmm. Don't mess it up because the greater evil is going to come take us over. Yeah. No, and he's, so he was right. Wisdom in that, yeah. Like, part it's a little bit given up, which is not ultimately what you want. It's, but it's also a little bit of we need to do what keeps stuff running for now. Like, I don't know. Like, that's why it's great. It's complicated, yeah. just like life is, and they captured that really well. In a way, I don't feel like I've felt in Star Wars in a while. The closest I came to it was again, Rogue One had moments like that. Where it was like, there's no good choice here, or there's no good choice for us on the ground, but there's there's a choice we can make for everybody that's that will benefit everyone in the long run. But we're gonna lose some people while we're doing it, and I don't know that stuff resonates with me. You know, sacrifice for the greater good stuff. It's uh, it's hard to do in Star Wars because it is a it's a family friendly universe. They're never gonna make a hard R Star Wars. They're never gonna make a Star Wars where you know. A Game of Thrones Star Wars. No, that's never going to happen. I mean, I might even want that one day, but I'm not. I don't think I'll ever get it yeah. because I, I think it's a. It can be a brutal universe, and it's it's an interesting thing to explore. This is as close as we've come to that, and I think tonally they're nailing that without having to be too violent or too anything, uh, too mean spirited. They can still get away with all of this and, and make it work, um, and create that great dynamic between good and evil and still carry the star Wars through it. And they're doing, they're doing exactly what I wanted from, you know, and and this is, I mean, I won't lie. I came off of those three major movies thinking, I don't know, these are fine. But at the end of the day, I felt like I just had had too much candy and I don't feel very good after I ate all that candy. And, and it's okay. It exists. It is what it is. Probably some other generation of kids. Those are their movies now. I, you know, I don't know, but 
but I'm so glad that we can explore this long form stuff. And I might, I have a current theory running that I think they're, I, I won't say this 100% sure, but when they canceled the, the rogue squadron, was a mm-hmm. rogue squadron movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I heard about that and just how long it's been since we've had rise of the Jedi or whatever the heck it was called rise oh. of Skywalker. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I've even forgotten the names. <laughs> well, the they, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. been so long since we've had that. I'm unsure that we ever have films again, or at least there won't be a chunk of time. I think I said this on Twitter, like 10 years, maybe then there'll be a film, but I feel like serialized television and this, that market as it is right now, this is the perfect place. And it's perfect because you can really express these stories through time and you don't I have to cram it into an hour and a half. You know what I mean? I think you are so on to something and I think it goes even deeper, which is look, Star Wars, you and I both know, and uh, I talked to someone about this on another episode, which is Star Wars for us is the story of scarcity. Three movies that changed our life, nothing forever, a bunch of books that were really great, then too many books, then prequels, which the kids loved because they had no real reference but we were like, uh, we're confused. And then scarcity again, and then too much stuff. And so I feel like I don't think they're going to make movies again, A, until they're scarce. Mm-hmm. But B, until they've trained us. There was such a generational, there's such a huge generation that was into the first three Star Wars movies and watched them 8,000 times until they thought they were the only thing that star wars could be (laughs) yeah you have to train the next generation of movie watchers to accept that star wars can be lots of things and the way to do that is to put out lots of different star wars things on your streaming channel Mm -hmm. yeah and you can you can culminate some of this stuff eventually but maybe it maybe it's just following the line that streaming and movies were headed toward anyway which is Theaters were going to become less prominent. I mean, I don't, I, I hate talking about become more marketing events. Like, unfortunately, yeah. Return of Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker, even I forget the name, was like a good story smothered to death by marketing event. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's just not what it used to be. That used to no. be this is where you literally saw movies and that was your only choice. You know, VHS would change that a little, but in a very low def way. And early on, a very expensive way. Oh, I have this great story I should tell you. When I was yeah. in junior high, yeah. I had a friend whose dad was the prison warden of, of Utah State Prison. And that was weird in its own way because it's like, oh, this kid's dad's the prison warden. But what was really weird is because of his connections somehow, this kid <laughs> could get bootleg everything. Oh, of course. Which seems antithetical to, you know, his dad runs a prison. Maybe you shouldn't do illegal things, but whatever. Anyway, this kid would come to school. With bootleg versions, uh, usually filmed in theaters or otherwise transferred, uh, VHS copies of Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, E.T., uh, Indiana Jones, this sort of stuff. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark to be in particular. And this was a time where if you wanted to buy those on VHS, they were like 80 bucks. It was a very mm-hmm. early thing. And you waited, by the way, like we were talking earlier, forever for these things to come out at home. They were making them. They were yeah. printing them. <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous. And uh, anyway, he'd show up and we'd all... Like, you know, you'd trade him stuff like, oh, yeah, I'll give you this uh, Chewbacca action figure for this copy of, of Empire Strikes Back. And then we'd take it home and just watch it to death until the tape didn't work anymore. And um, that's just a different time. Your optimal, best way, convenient way was a movie theater. And it was also much more affordable. Today, 
you know, me and Kim going on our own, we're going to spend 60 bucks at the theater and we may not have a great time because our theaters run like crap and it's just not what it used to be. I've got a really nice TV at home. Everybody's streaming rad stuff. We're doing it in 4K and HDR and a million other technologies that make the theater seem like the lesser choice. And I know not everybody feels this way. All right. I get it. And I know there are people that are like, oh, but we got to retain the experience and the whatever. I don't know, man. Life's moving on. And I think Star Wars might be. And I think Star Wars is smart to be doing this. And I remember when you were talking about the drought, it was like before, let's say before Disney bought them, I remember like, oh, yeah, Kevin Smith's got a script treatment for a television show. And everybody was like, what? TV? That's never going to work. That's going to be ridiculous. And now, you know, the best stuff is there. Meanwhile, Kevin Smith still doesn't have a Star Wars movie. Yeah, that's true. He never really got to do (laughs) that. But as as we've seen, I mean, I just think that the writing's on the wall. I think they know that. I think the last three movies helped illustrate that. The pandemic amplified that. And now we're in a place where it's like, yeah, just keep doing this. You know, just keep surprising me with new content over there. And you can do your fan service and you can have your episodes where it's like, hey, it's just R2 and 3PO. Uh, it's 10 episode run flying through the universe doing funny stuff. Fine. That's fine. Do do a new Christmas special. I don't care. This is where I want it. And you I know think what I'm I want? not alone. Yeah. You know what I want? I want the trippiest, forciest, <laughs> mystical, weird ass force movie that like TV series, three episodes. Yeah. I want like, what is it like on the other side of life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I, I, would I want. Lo- I would love that. I want more animated stuff. I yeah. want I want things that are short form, long form, multiple seasons, one-offs, single movies, fine, but put those straight to streaming. Like I just I just think the the paradigm of what we think of as theaters is changing for good changing. or for ill. It's changing and and we yeah. either have to acknowledge that or fight it. And the industry's in the middle of trying to do both and you know, they're, they're both yeah. acknowledging it and fighting it at the same time. Yeah. And I just, I just don't, I, I think that's not going to last very long. Uh, you know? Yeah. So, 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 we, so bottom line though, like if I'm going to, if I'm going to sit down and I want to consume a bunch of star Wars stuff right now, it's happening right where I want it. And that is not a movie theater. Yeah. I hate to say it. All right. Your story about the scarcity of VHS and not seeing star Wars in, in the way that you first saw it reminds me of something. And I want to be mindful of your time, but I also want to tell you a story. And it's a two-parter. And then I want to ask you if you have a story like this. Not right. exactly like this. But <laughs> <laughs> so many conditions, Scott. Sure. Um, okay. So the first time, I'm a little a little itchy-bitchy younger than you. Just like mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, uh, we're still, the, a, technically we're both Xers, yeah. but yes. Just sure, but you are yeah. like high X and I'm like Ender X. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Sure. And so, and we grew up very differently, right? You grew up in Salt Lake City. Yeah. I grew up in... Uh, Upper West Side of Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, and my first, because I was too young to see the first two movies, right? Not just the, the the first one, the first two. And so my very first memory of Star Wars, one of my first memories in general, I'm sitting with my dad in a brunch place that no longer exists on the Upper West Side on a Sunday, which is like the thing I did with my dad. And it was a place that had these it was a very strange place because it was built into a hill, a small hill on Amsterdam Avenue. Amsterdam Avenue. It had these glass bricks. You know, the, the bricks that were very, like, um, opaque, but they were glass. Mm. And they were, you could build a wall with them. Oh, yeah. I, so you saw a lot of right? bathrooms do that for a while. Bathrooms yeah. did that. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a very... Um, 
specific memory, like the guy that ran the brunch place was just like a, um, like a, a mensch. And like, I remember my dad sitting in the booth, looking at the New Yorker already. This is like the most Upper West Side story ever. And he was looking <laughs> at the movies in the back of the, um, in the back of the New Yorker, they they used to list movies because we didn't have um, the internet then. So you had to read about the movies in some form or another. And how did I know? How on earth did I know? It was 1983. So I was seven. Mm. How did I know I wanted to go see Return of the Jedi in the theaters with my dad? Because I remember begging him. To go see it, and yet I had not seen the other two movies in the theater and may have not seen them even on VHS. So it's possible. I'm thinking about this a lot lately because my dad just passed. Like, right. did I see the first Star Wars movie that I saw, Return of the Jedi? <laughs> I think there's probably a good chance of you and many others like you who that was their first. Good yeah. Movie. Yeah. So yeah. I'm thinking about this story, and then I'm thinking about all the things that happened. And with my dad, and so, like, I lived in New York for the last three months of my dad's life. I moved myself to New York, back to the old hood with the brunches and the Amsterdam and Columbus Avenue and all this stuff. And what I would do is, when things were really hard in that stage, is I would turn on Disney Plus and watch some Star Wars. And I was watching, it goes back to what you were talking about with um, uh, the sound effects. I was also fascinated by how they made Star Wars. So I was watching the Industrial Light and Magic Watch the first episode. You know the documentary that they just put out on Disney yeah. Plus. New, newish one, right? Yeah, the newish one, and I can't remember the name of it, but I do remember the name of it. Uh, somewhere, it's the one they just put out. It's like multiple episodes, and I watched the first one, and I was just thunderstruck, and I was like, "I'm gonna watch another one." And I got almost to the end. There were 14 minutes till the end of this thing, and I got a phone call. And they were like, "Your dad is experiencing cardiac arrest," and I paused the thing. And I was like focused in on that. And then my dad passed that night. And so Star Wars, like if you want to talk about weaving Star Wars into our lives, into the literal start and end of our lives, like there you go. I, Star Wars was with me in the few moments that I had with my dad where we were just like hanging out and having brunch and going seeing movies, which is what we did. And it was literally there for me at the end of my dad's life. Wow. that's a, And that's not, not only is that a, a formidable moment that just happened like that's it just recent. happened yeah happened in july wow. and like it, you know and i haven't watched the end of the episode because i'm like well prior to this my dad is still alive <laughs> yeah and after this i have to live in a world where he doesn't exist for good yeah. or ill and i just you know i love these documentaries but i might just have to pick up and start with the third one because i i don't know i might just save that at 14 minutes forever yeah, I mean, I, I totally get that. I could see why that would be yeah. um, a thing, but that's a that's a powerful connection. That's what it's so now we don't is. think about this with other media very much. Like, I don't, no. I don't ever, I don't think of any real emotional moments in my life that are tied to much else. But for some reason, Star Wars and some of what it touched, like, there's no Pixar without Star Wars. Right. Because the money wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have been bought by, you know, they were working hard. But I, who knows what, how it could have worked out some other way. But, but you know, Lucas buying them and then Steve Jobs buying them. And then, you know, the just sort of the trajectory of, of Pixar. That's another content thread where I have real emotional connections and ties. And it's ironic that that's all tied to Star Wars ultimately. To Star Wars. Yeah. Try to untie something to Star Wars. Yeah, it's hard. 
It's hard to. I have one <laughs> of my favorite I mean? memories. So I have a son who's 22 years old now because I'm an old fart now. Um, and all my kids are, you know, in their 20s. They're all grown. But not very long ago, <laughs> they were all in their teens. And not long before that, they were kids. And my son, who was uh, three years old at the time, I want to say, maybe four, just barely, you know, just talking as, as a new human being and all that. We were watching Star Wars one night because that's how I made sure we did that, he and I. Mm-hmm. And he'd sit on my lap. And one time during the rewatching of, it may have been one of, the, I don't remember which of the first trilogy was. It was probably New Hope. But he's sitting in my lap and he, and he says, Dad. And he turns to me and I pause the movie and he goes, what does Hoper mean? And I said, I'm, what? what, what? <laughs> he goes, what does Hoper mean? I said, Hoper. I don't know what Hoper is. And he goes, you know, like like Hoper. And I said, can you explain a little bit more, bud? And he said, he slows down. And he goes, Hoper. Hoper. He's doing Vader is what he was doing. Oh. <laughs> and he pronounced it Hoper. And if you think about it, it does sound like Hoper. And anytime anyone who I've told that story to now hears Vader breathe, they're like, oh, my gosh, I think of that story with your son. Oh but, my but that was a really great moment. Because it was just a confused little kid. He wants to know if he's actually saying something. But I remember thinking, <laughs> this four-year-old who is half the age of what I was when I first saw the movie we're watching right now has these questions that I will never not get tired of answering. Yeah. I mean, I want to answer it all day forever. And I, yeah. I mean, I have, I have things as a kid, as an adult, and everything in between. There's some, something Star Wars related has poked its head in there yeah. throughout all of it. And you must have like the sense memory of the kid in your lap. Oh right? yeah. Oh yeah. It's just like 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 what a three year old feels like in your lap, which is something that I know because I have a little nephew and we're showing him Star Wars. Or for example, my cleaning lady slash Taylor was talking to me about Star Wars. She is from um a state in Mexico and she said I said, Well, who's your favorite Star Wars character? She said, Artadita. <laughs> they say in Spanish languages, they say R two D two Artadita. And 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 just the 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 way that we perceive Star Wars throughout our world is spectacular. Like I'm going to close with one idea about this, and this is real wackadoo, so you're going to have to bear with me. Right. Uh, I was reading a real weird declassified thing by the CIA. Okay, it was one of those things where they send some colonel, major general off to like talk about astral projection and do a whole white paper on it that's 30 pages long, right? Just weird stuff the CIA has people doing in the 70s. And this guy, he's like talking on and on about this one weird uh, place down in Virginia who's doing like a transcendental meditation and it leads to astral projection and blibbity blobbity blue. And he is describing the science behind it. And without giving anything away, he ends up describing the force. <laughs> All right. <laughs> And he ends up it. describing a universal principle across all religions, right? Mm. And I'm looking at it, I'm going, oh, that's the force. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, it's all there. I mean, yeah. what George Lucas did, what the creators continue to do for us as fans, so we can shit all over it, is <laughs> uh, so profound and so amazing. It touches all of our lives. And uh, I don't think I would have been as good pals with you if we hadn't talked about No, I don't know if I'd be doing any of the stuff I'm doing. I don't know if I would be the same. um, What's the word? I want want to 
stay 11 uh-huh. for a reason. <laughs> uh-huh. And part of the reason is my the greatest era, the, the greatest time in your childhood, notwithstanding those who maybe had horrible 11 and 12 or range, uh-huh. I, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody here, but being 11 is amazing. It's an amazing time. You know, <laughs> for girls, it's eight. Yeah, yeah. Eight, eight for girls, 11 for boys. Boys are out there catching bugs and snakes and just screwing around <laughs> and having a ball and your bikes and you're banging up your knees. And at least in my generation, my parents are like, all right, be back for dinner. And that was as good as it got. And, you know, it was great. It was an amazing time to be alive. And during that time is where I feel like I really locked in what I wanted to do with my life. That's when I knew I wanted to be in radio somehow and be an artist somehow. Didn't care how, didn't know what, just knew I wanted to do it. No idea the internet would be part of this, that it would be such a huge part of it or any of that. But all of that came from to this day comes from those those sorts of feelings of like I'm not going to be the adult you all want me to be. I'm going to be the one I want to be and that adult is going to still love this stuff and just yeah. revel in it and swim in it, soak in it, talk about it, love it. That was a very early like sense in in me and I never lost it and I don't know if I would have had it without it. I mean, yeah. I might have, I don't know who who's to say, but it feels unlikely for me that I would have felt this way as I do today. As they say in Ted Lasso, Star Wars is life. <laughs> That's true. I have a very funny we're... story about uh, uh, Ted Lasso that I will tell you at a different time. Okay. Yeah. I think we're going to leave it there because what more can you say? Uh, but thank you, Scott, for coming on. Um, thank you so much for talking with me at a level that was barely about Andor, but really about Andor as much as it possibly could be. Um, so thank you. And um, uh, I'm so grateful for you coming on at the early stage of this venture, whatever this turns out. Well, to. I loved it. And when uh, we get a little deeper in the series, I'd love to come back, talk yes. some more, kind of see where it's at and, uh, that would you know, great. see if they nail this landing. Cause so far the, the launch Ooh. is pretty strong. Feeling good. Pretty strong. Okay. Real quick. Uh, uh, thanks to the Andrew Allen trio for the new music that we're uh, using uh, for this, which is of course Yoda's theme. Uh, because uh, I'm obsessed with it. Did you know, Scott, just as a final thought, that uh, the way that you, the next time you hear Yoda's theme from Empire Strikes Back, mm. try to find a moment where you can actually sing the words, pass on what you have learned. It oh. matches. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'll do it's, that. It's and just I'll, a I'll thing. Also, next, time, next time I think about my, uh, someone calls my home a mud hole, I'm, gonna, I'm also going <laughs> to think about it as well. Yeah. Yeah. My home misses, um, I'll say. <laughs> there will be much more on the Fulcrum feed to come. Uh, it doesn't stop with Let's Talk About Andor. We're just going to get weirder. We're just going to get more off the topic. It's going to be great. But for now, Fulcrum over and out. <laughs> <laughs>